Well, if you would, if you have a copy of a Bible with you today, uh, turn to John chapter 20, please. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We do have Bibles, and we're also putting the Scripture on the screen as well. So we're going to be looking at the resurrection account in John's Gospel, John chapter number 20. So let's begin with just a few verses, and uh, then we'll get into the message. You should have, if you have a if you had a bulletin today, you should have a copy of the notes for the message today. I'd encourage you to follow along with uh, the message this morning. It says in John 20, verse number 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark. How many of you, anybody was up, who was up before, dark, before dawn this morning? You were up before the sun. You beat the sun up. All right, very good. We're proud of you, those of us that weren't, all right? Great job. Okay, so very early. But now this was for a much more serious reason. Because she came with the other women, the other gospel accounts tell us, to anoint the body of Jesus. See, he'd been in the grave. This was the third day. Now he comes early in the morning, and, but she comes early in the morning. And when she gets there, something is kind of strange because she sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, what is this stone? Well, because there was so much controversy surrounding the death of Jesus, the opponents, the religious leaders of the day who were opposed to the teachings of Jesus, the ones who had him killed, they made a plan, and that was to take a giant stone to, to roll it in front of the grave so no one could steal the body, and to make sure that the body of Jesus was safe in that tomb, not only was there a stone there, a massive stone, but there were Roman guards that were set and appointed to guard the tomb. And so Mary is shocked when she gets there because the stone is gone. How could this happen? This is the most improbable, well, she thinks that's the most improbable thing. What she's about to find is even more incredible. But she sees the stone taken away from the sepulcher, so she runs, verse number two, now she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, so it's Peter and John, and she says to them, she says, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, as we come to this important part of the service, Lord, I pray that your word would speak where I cannot. Lord, I pray that we would all just be fully focused on what the Bible says, on who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you'd take the words of this message, the words of Scripture, and I pray that you would apply them to each heart in a personal way. Lord, each person here I know comes with different circumstances and situations in their lives. But no matter what place we find ourselves today, God, I know that you are the answer for all of us. So please help me as I preach the message and help us as a church to receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The resurrection of Jesus, and let's just not let that word be, you know, churchy, religious sounding kind of word, the resurrection. The fact that Jesus' body was dead and he came back to life. That is the most shocking event that has ever occurred in all of history. 
And I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, on this this morning, but I do want you to understand that the, 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 the basis of Christianity is on the, is, it, Christianity is built on the historical evidence that people witnessed the risen body of Jesus Christ. That after he was dead, we have accounts from over 500 people that said they spoke with him. They spent time with him. We saw them. And I will say, if you deny the resurrection of Jesus as a historical fact, then you have to come up with a plausible explanation for how this whole thing called Christianity got started. And it's not so easy to do without the resurrection of Jesus. So, but it's the most shocking event in all of history. So what I want you to notice today, and what John records for us in John chapter 20, what were the reactions of the people who were closest to the event? How are those reactions similar to people's reactions today? Because we're a few thousand years, to, to be more precise, we're about 2,000 years removed from the event. And how many of you know that, that, how many of you would say history was not your favorite subject in school? Like, you just were not a history person. But how many of you also realize that it is, uh, we understand the realities of today by understanding what's happened in the past? And so while events, an event that happened 2,000 years ago affected these people very personally and very powerfully in that moment, that event of the resurrection of Jesus continues to affect men and women and children today. It has significance today. How are the, those similar? And then the most important question is this. The most important question when we think of resurrection reactions is what is your reaction? What is your response to the resurrection of Jesus? Because that is the most important question that you'll ever answer in your life. I met a young man once at a gas station, believe it or not. This was a chance meeting. And I just felt impressed to, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with him. And he immediately told me, he immediately said to me, oh, I don't believe in any of that. And so his plan was to just shut my conversation down right then and there. But I wanted to go a little bit further. And so I asked him this question. I said, well, let me ask you this. What if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. He looked at me and he's like, well, I guess that would change some things. And at that point, I'd encourage him. I don't know whatever happened to that young man. But I hope that he would examine the claim, examine the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. But then the most important question isn't, was this factually true? The most important question is, if it's true, then how have I responded do I have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So that's where I'm going to bring this whole message today, and that's where these scriptures do. Now, I want you to notice there's basically, and, and there's basically four reactions, um, or five reactions that I want to show you. First of all, there's a group of confused seekers. We already read the verses. So these confused seekers would be the women and the disciples. What happened was, early on Easter morning, the, the, the women, and it's not just Mary, there's, a, there's another Mary, and uh, there's some women that go, Salome, they go there, and they're going to anoint the body of Jesus. Now they get there, the stone is rolled away. 
Now, there's a little bit of, we're not exactly sure when we put together the different accounts exactly how it happened. Um, it would seem as if Mary Magdalene, she saw the stone was rolled away, and she immediately ran back to tell the other disciples. In the meantime, the other women are there, and the other women there, they, ha they see an angel. Now, you'd have to read the account. And the angel is the scripture that Aaron read to us at the beginning of the message, where the angel said, why do you look for Jesus? He's not here. He's risen. So what happens? Those ladies, they run back. They run back to all of the disciples. And they say, we saw an angel. They said that Jesus is come back to life. And immediately, what was the reaction of all of the other disciples? Well, it says in, verse, in Luke chapter 24, verse 11, it says, their words seemed to them as idle tales. In other words, they're like, what are you talking about? We have this like, preconceived notion that, well, of course, ancient people believed in miracles and resurrections and things like that. I don't care if you were alive in the year 2000 or 2000 BC, dead people don't come back to life, okay? They're not, these people were no more likely, they were no more likely to believe that someone had come back to, from the dead than anyone is. And so when they hear this, they say, you have, you, you, I don't know if they said, you're just confused, girls, you're just confused. You don't understand what's going on. These women had followed Jesus all along. They'd been close to him. And they're, they're confused, but now everybody's in a panic. Now everybody's a little bit uncertain. So they all start making their way. Peter and John, this is what we read about. In fact, here in Luke 24, verse 12, it says, Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. You notice that last statement? What was the state of mind that Peter found himself in? His state of mind is what? Wondering. What is going on? I don't understand what's happening right now. I don't understand this. I can't, I can't get, a, get a hold of what's happening. In fact, if you go back to John, our main text for today, you go back to John, it says that Peter and John run to the, to the tomb. In verse number... Uh, verse number three, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. Verse number four, so they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter. Some of you are chuckling because do you know who is the one writing this account? The other disciple. That's him. Like, do we really need this information? Like, apparently the Lord has a sense of humor as well. Because it's like, this is first later, John is writing the account. He's like, oh yeah, me and Peter, well, not me, the disciple that Jesus loved, okay? <laughs> the disciple that Jesus loved and Peter ran to, the, ran to the tomb. And Peter went on, but the other disciple ran him, just saying. Just saying. I don't know why else that's in here, other than just a, a little bit of uh, a personality for us. And so they run both together. The other disciple outrun Peter came first to the sepulcher. But this is interesting. John is afraid to walk in. It says in verse number five that he stoops down. He gets down and he looks in. Now, maybe he hesitated 
because to be near a dead body would, in the ritual customs of the Jewish people, he would have been unclean. So you wouldn't just go into the presence of a, of, a, of a corpse. You wouldn't do that. So that could be why he hesitates. But either way, he gets there first, but he stops at the outside of the, he stops at the, outside of the entrance. But Peter, if you know Peter, he's not one for ceremony, and he's not one for doing things exactly the right way. He just runs in. He goes right into the sepulcher. He's got to see. His mind is swirling. He doesn't understand what's happening, but something has happened. Something has happened. What is going on? And, but now Peter sees some confusing things. Because remember, the first theory, the very first theory, uh, the first anti-resurrection theory was that someone what? Anybody know? What's that? That's right. Somebody stole his body. That was the first theory. And in fact, at first, that's what they started to think. And we don't know where they've laid him. And so they think someone took the body. Peter looks in and he sees some things that just confuse him even more. Because he goes in the sepulcher and he sees the linen clothes lying. Now, if you were going to steal a body, you'd probably keep it wrapped up, wouldn't you? You're like, I don't know, I can't imagine any scenario where I'm dealing a body. <laughs> but put yourself in that frame of mind. You certainly wouldn't unwrap the body. And then verse number seven, verse number seven, and the napkin, this would be like a, a face covering. The napkin that was about his head was not lying, was not with the, lying with the linen clothes, but was wrapped together in a place by itself. You see, somebody had put those down who wasn't going to need them anymore. You see, Jesus rose from the dead that morning, and he took the linen grave clothes, and they stayed there in the tomb. And the napkin that covered his face, can you imagine the triumphant, resurrected Lord and Savior taking that, that face cloth, folding that up? I won't be needing that ever again. And he lays it down. But Peter's looking. Peter just does not understand. He hasn't come to terms with this. Now, there are a lot of circumstances in Peter's life. He's, the, the night before, the, or just two nights before, he had denied Jesus. He had thought he was so brave, but he'd failed. And he's just, but, but God is doing something in his life, and he's just confused. I'm confused. I don't understand. And I have discovered that sometimes this is how God begins to bring men and women today to faith in Christ. They go through a period in their life where they know something is changing. Something is happening inside of me. I'm a little bit confused. I don't quite understand it. How many remember a time in your life where that's where you were, spiritually speaking? Yeah. You're like, you're like I'm searching for something and I'm finding some answers, but I've got more questions than answers. You've been there before? There are people like that. I've got more questions than answers. I see that in Peter. I don't understand what is the response. Praise the Lord, the response is this. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Keep searching. If there is a restlessness in your soul, I think it was uh, evangelists of the last century uh, that popularized the saying that every person has a God-shaped hole in their heart. How many of you have heard that saying before? You used to hear it a lot. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. 
that, there's, that, that we face big questions in life, uncertainty, confusion, and what we're looking for is God. But, but there are a lot of people, they're on their way there, but they're just not quite there yet. And what I'm here to tell you is, keep listening to the voice of God. He could speak to you this morning. He could solidify that in your life today. You see, do you know what's going to happen to Peter? He's going to stay in this state of confusion for a few more hours. But in just a few hours, Jesus is going to reveal himself to him. And so what I'd say to you, in fact, we, we celebrated at our church someone with this very testimony just a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, who became a believer after a period of uncertainty and doubt and said, you know, and finally, Jesus made himself clear. That's how God works. And so I can tell you, if God is working in your heart, if you'd say, I have more questions than answers, keep seeking. So that's the first, and maybe, maybe one of these this morning you'll identify with more than another. But the first one is for that group of people who are confused seekers. Keep seeking, keep praying, keep reading the Bible, keep coming to services, keep talking with Christians. Open your heart to the Lord. He'll make himself known. Second group is, this is really beautiful. I've discovered in life that there are also a whole lot of silent believers out there. In this passage, there's a silent believer. Notice this. Verse number, verse number eight. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher. That's John. He says, so Peter went in, then I went in. And Peter says, when I saw, when I saw, I what? I believed. Peter and John are at two different places in their life. Peter's head is still spinning. But in the quietness of his heart, John looks in and he sees the same thing. Think about this. He sees exactly the same thing that Peter saw. But he comes to a different conclusion. He sees it, and in that moment, he believes. Verse number nine, for as yet, they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, what you do not find recorded, what does not happen, is John courageously going back to the other disciples. You never see it. John doesn't go back and be like, guys, we need to believe that he's risen from the dead. He doesn't say, I'm convinced. We have no, he says he believed, but he didn't what? He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything at all. But in his heart, he knew. I've met people like that today. Not this morning, but today in, in recent years. People who have finally made it to that point. Where they say, you know what? I do believe in Jesus. They haven't made it public yet. They haven't taken that, that next step of bold faith, but they have seen and they have believed. And Jesus said that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And you could sit there this morning and you could say, you know what? Yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I believe that he rose from the dead. If you will put your faith in Christ in a simple, childlike way, the Bible says you become a Christian. You become a child of God. 
Two different people. Peter, John. They both see the same information. Peter's still confused, but John says, I believe. I see this as baby faith. Like a newborn believer in a spiritual sense. Someone who is, they've just grasped a hold of the truth. So what's that? That's the reaction. Well, what's the response? The response is this. Keep growing. You see, verse number nine, John doesn't understand everything, does he? They still don't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They're going to very soon. And if you're one of those people that says, you know what? Yes, I do have faith in Christ, but I just don't understand a lot about it. I'm not saying to stay there. I'm not saying to, to stay in that place of infantile faith, but embrace it and grow in your faith and get closer to the Lord and let him give you those answers. You see, there, there's, there's people that, that are at a point where they're like, nope, I can't believe until I get a few more answers. And then there's another group of people that are, it's just internal. They're like, I know this is true. I know God has spoken to my heart. And somebody would say, but what about this? And what about that? What about, you're like, I, I don't know all those answers yet. But with time, God will give them. God will strengthen your faith. God will give you answers for the doubts and the questions and the uncertainties. There's, there are confused seekers. There's a silent believer. And I think the most emotional group here, the most powerful, is this one person who is a hopeless heart. She's a hopeless heart. Verse number 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. Boy, how do you just go home after that? I mean, they had, what else were they going to do? I'm not criticizing them. But how do you just go home after experiencing this? That's, what, that's all they can do. Let's go home. But Mary's not ready to leave yet. Mary's just, she can't handle all this. At least she feels like she can't handle it all. Mary's got a backstory. You don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are like, yeah, I've got one of those in my life too. And Ethan, it doesn't look like your backstory. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I didn't learn all the Bible verses. It's not my story. It's a little bit more difficult than that. Well, that's Mary. See, Peter and John, they grew up in respectable homes and had good experiences in their life. And, but Mary, when we're introduced to her earlier on in the Gospels, Mary is a mess. Mary is actually demonically possessed. It says in the Bible that Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. Mary's got a difficult story. Now, there's some other conjecture that people have surmised about Mary's background, but it's important to realize we don't have any other information about Mary. There's no reason to believe anything else other than the fact that she was affected by these demons. Don't we use that expression today in a kind of different way, but similar, where we say, boy, if you look at my past, you'd find some demons back there. Well, Mary literally had demons back there. But Jesus set her free. And for the first time again, I imagine Mary believed in hope again. She's been set free from the demon possession. 
And then she said, Jesus, I am going to follow you. And she was, you know, we think about Peter and John and James and Andrew and all those. There were women that, that were also there. Mary was one of them. They followed Jesus every single day. They traveled with him. And Mary had begun for the last couple of years. She had finally found some hope. She had dared to hope once again, but now he's dead. The one she'd put all her hope in is dead, and she can't even pay respects to his body. She's in a hopeless position. And she's just weeping. Just weeping. And she looks in too. In verse number 12, she sees two angels in white sitting. One at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus lay. And he said unto her, woman, why are you weeping? Now obviously she doesn't recognize these men as angels. In the Bible, when you read about angels, not always, but often, they just look like people. And so she just sees two guys dressed in white. And she's, I mean, she's a mess. Looking through her teary eyes, she sees these two men, and she's, she, they say, why are you crying? And she says, because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they put him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back. And saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. I don't know if he looked different. I don't know if she just couldn't see through the tears and blurriness of her vision. But this is the first appearance of Jesus to anyone. And it's to a hopeless, hurting woman who loved Jesus incredibly. And she's weeping and crying, and she thinks, and Jesus asks the same question to her. Verse 15, Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking for? She supposed him to be the gardener. She says to him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She doesn't understand who's talking to her. She can't hear his voice. She can't recognize his voice. But in the depths of her despair, Jesus reaches out to her personally. And she's the first one that gets to experience the risen Savior. And she thinks he's the gardener. And if you're the one who took him, tell me. Verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, She had never heard, I think the sound of her name never sounded sweeter than it did in that moment. Mary, she turned and she said, my master. She said, my master. She knew it was him. And when she had given up all hope, when she thought that, when she thought that what she had been, that she had escaped, and now she's going to go back to the, what's going to happen to me now at that moment moment, at her weakest moment, Jesus' voice called out to her and called her name, Mary. And can I share with you this this morning, that if you're in a difficult place, if you're in a dark place, if you've got a troubled past, if you've just given up on ever being loved again, listen carefully and you will hear the voice of Jesus calling your name. He will call your name if you listen. 
Now, I don't believe in a, that you're going to hear an audible sound. I mean, if God wanted to, he could do that and deny that. But how he speaks is in the stillness of our hearts, in the quiet of our moments. And he says, he calls out our name, Mary. In that moment, Jesus had predicted this. He said in, I think it's John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And Mary's heart is reopened again. She's given up. Her reaction is about to give up, but the response, and if you're someone and you identify, you're like, yeah, I'm not really a Peter or a John here today, but I, I, I feel a little bit like Mary, a little bit hopeless, a little bit trodden down, about ready to give up. Don't know if I could ever love or trust someone to love me again. Well, listen, I cannot guarantee you that any human being will ever give you the love that you need. It might not happen. Can't guarantee you that, that, that you'll find it in a romantic partner. Can't guarantee that you'll find it in parents or loved ones or family. Can't. But I can tell you this, you can find a love, you can trust the love of Jesus. Because it's a perfect love. It's a personal love. That's Mary. Trust the love of Jesus. So we met some folks that are confused, met a silent believer, a hopeless heart that found hope. And then we find a doubting mind, a doubting mind. So some things happen in the meantime. Mary goes back and tells them. And then within a few hours, they're all in the room together and Jesus shows up in the room. Like there he is. Everybody's there. Everybody's seeing him now all at one time. And there were multiple times, by the way, there were multiple times in the record where Jesus is, is recorded, he's historically recorded as appearing to multiple people simultaneously. Why do you think that's important? Like, I don't know, but I imagine you're going to tell me. It's easy to discredit the opinion of one person. How many of you have ever had somebody come up to you and be like, you won't believe what I saw. And you're like, I don't believe what you saw. You might not say it out loud, but you're like, no. Multiple times on multiple occasions, Jesus appears to multiple groups of people. Did you see what I just saw? You, we're, we're all seeing the same thing here. And Jesus talked with them. In fact, at one point, uh, they thought they saw a spirit. Jesus says, touch me, touch me. Because the Spirit doesn't have flesh and blood. They talked with him. They saw him. They touched him. But one guy was missing. He wasn't there. Anybody know his name? Thomas wasn't there. Thomas is missing. And because he was missing, and because of his reaction, he has forever been given the nickname Doubting Thomas. Poor guy, right? That, that's how, how we think of him, okay? I just have enough hope. I, I, just, I just think God's grace is good enough that when we meet him in heaven, he'll be introduced as believing Thomas, you know? I, I, I just, I, I think we're doing that, uh, doing that, give him that credit. But doubting Thomas, there's an appearance to the disciples, but Thomas is missing. And in verse number 12, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them, in verse 24. When Jesus came, Thomas wasn't there. Verse 25, 
The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen him! We've seen the Lord! But he said to them, Well, can you imagine with the voice of every skeptic you've ever heard in your life? Unless I see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into them, and unless I can put my hand in his side where that spear went through, unless I can see that with my eyes, I won't believe. I won't believe. How many of you have ever heard someone say something like this? Well, if there's really a God, why doesn't he just tell me from the clouds? I'm ready. Go ahead. Speak right now. How many of you have ever encountered, encountered someone like that? Okay. Anybody here ever, just curious, anybody here ever been someone like that in the past? Okay. I got a couple of hands. Thank you for being honest. Did you ever hear that, uh, that crash or that voice from the clouds? But guess what? You're here and you believe, right? God has a way of patiently dissolving doubts. So Thomas says, I'm not going I'm, I'm not, I'm not to believe unless I see it. So what happens? Jesus makes him wait eight days. Verse 26. And after eight days. I don't know. I can only theorize on this. How hard is his skepticism? Well, it held out for eight days. Anybody in here say, I was a stubborn skeptic for a long time. After eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. But there he is, standing in the middle of the room, and he says, Shalom. Peace be unto you. And then he turns his attention to one man. Then he says, Thomas, put your, put your hand right there. Put your hand right here. And be not faithless, but believe. Do you know what I've discovered? about many people who are very skeptical, not all, but many people who are very skeptical, they're not skeptical for a lack of evidence. They're skeptical for a lack of willingness to examine the evidence. Because God, and if you're here and you'd say, boy, I don't know, this all sounds good. Like, it, I would love for Christianity to be true. I would love for the resurrection to be true, but I just can't believe it. Is it that you can't or that you won't? There's a difference between honest skepticism that's looking for answers, and in fact, the Bible record embraces that kind of skepticism. There's a difference between an honest skepticism that says, I'll listen, I'll look at the evidence as opposed to a skepticism that says, I don't care what the evidence says, I will not believe. But if you're someone that would say, you know what? I'd like to see it. I'd like to look at the evidence. God will make himself known to you. Keep looking and ask honestly. 
Jesus' resurrection. There's some are confused, but God still works. Some are right there, they believe, but it's just a young faith. Some are hopeless who found hope. Some have doubts like Thomas, and look what happens to his doubts. It says in verse number, verse number 28, when he sees and he hears the voice of Jesus, Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. The skeptic becomes a worshiper. And that's something else I've observed in my life. Sometimes the people who are the most skeptical, who then, then they become the most vibrant in their faith, the most devoted. And then, Lord willing, each and every one of us can become among this last group of people. And the last group are the transformed believers. Jesus says, verse 29, this is where we're going to wrap it up. Verse 29 to the end of the chapter. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have, what's it say? Not seen, yet have believed. That's us. That's everybody after those first century. So wait a minute. So Ethan, what you're saying is, I just have to take a blind leap of faith. Without seeing, I just have to go for it. Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. But I am saying that, that sight, sight is not what we need. It's hearing that we need. We need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear the word of God. The Bible says this in the book of Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I don't need to see a miracle. I need to hear the truth of God. And it's not a blind leap of faith. It is evidence-based. And you say, what do you mean? Well, look at verse number 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? In fact, John's like, well, there's more I could say, but I didn't write it down. But I carefully selected, I'm supplying these words here, I carefully selected these things that I have written. Why? Look at verse 31. These are written. I didn't write everything, but what I did write was enough so that you would what? Believe. What has been written about Jesus, God says, is enough to believe on him. That ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Believing brings what? Life. The scriptures bring belief, and belief brings what? Life. Eternal life. And that believing you might have life through his name. You see, whichever person you are, whether you're, whether you're confused, you're a new believer, you're, uh, you're, you're seeking, you're hurting, you're skeptical, whichever you are, God is patiently drawing us to this point of decision where we've heard his word, we've heard his voice. 
And now you have to make a decision. Will you believe on Christ? You see, there must be a time in every person's life where you examine the evidence, where you look for yourself at who Jesus was, and you decide there's only two, there's no neutral reaction. Jesus was either who he claimed to be or why spend any time even talking about him? The question that you will have to answer for all of eternity, if you hope to have eternal life, the question comes down to this. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you have personally put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If that's never happened, I want to invite you to do that today. You say, how do I do that? There's no religious ceremony. There's no, well, get baptized or take the communion or, or do this religious thing. None of those things. The Bible makes it very clear. How do we get the life that God has promised? It's through what? It's the word right there twice in that verse. It's through what? Believing. It's through believing. It's coming to that point in your life where you say, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I deserve punishment. But I believe that on the cross, Jesus died for me. And from the tomb, he resurrected for me. He is God, he is my Savior, and my faith is in him, not myself. Not my church, not my family, not my own goodness, but my faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone. That is salvation. That is the message of Easter. That's the hope of the gospel. So what I'd like to do right now is give each and every person both in this room or watching online today, I'd like to give each and every person an opportunity to have a quiet moment just between you and God. So with no one looking around, and, and please, it, please no one moving, it would, no disruptions right now, let's just quietly bow our heads and let's have a quiet time of prayer. If you're here and you'd say, Pastor Ethan, I am ready to place my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm ready to do that right now. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If you're ready, say, you know what? I'm ready. I want to make, I mean, I'm not sure, but I want to make sure that my faith is in Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's no words. It's that there's no magic words. It's really the belief of your heart, but you can express a prayer, something like this to God, just in your, in the quiet of this moment, in your heart, pray this. Say, Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you. But I believe that Jesus died for me. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone. Please save me. I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone. God, please save me. If you're here today and with no looking, you'd say, Ethan, today, you know, please don't embarrass me or call my name out. I won't do anything like that. But if you say, Ethan, today, I put my faith and trust in Christ, or I made sure today, would you just quickly slip your hand up and put it down? Anyone at all would say, today, I, I made that. I made sure this morning. If you're in the room, just slip your hand up and put it down. 
if you are watching, send us a message, your private message, say, yes, today I trust in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the time we've had this morning. I thank you for just what a wonderful time we've had thinking about your death, your resurrection, and the salvation that we can have in you. God, I pray that uh, you working in each of our hearts today, Lord, as, as your believers, we celebrate, we rejoice. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that's struggling today, they just have uncertainty or doubts or they're not at the point where they're ready to place their faith in you. God, I pray that they would make that decision soon, that you'd help them to put their full faith and their full trust in you and you alone. We thank you for your mercy, your love, and your grace. It's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.